And welcome to the Flick Club with the help of Ibuprofen. Serdecznie witam państwo. And today we have a special episode because we have Magda Hutnu in our studios. Hello Magda. There, nice to hear you. We of course have my ever-reliable co-host Henrik here. How are you Henrik? A Santo Domini Padre or something like that. <laughs> This is getting very international. I am in Spain. Magda is in Poland, I believe, and Hendrik is in the northern polar bear sections of Finlandia. I'm in Krakow, actually. So, as you can see, Poland is in the center of Europe, just in the middle between northern Finland and Spain, yep. I think. Yeah, I was just kidding that there's no polar bears in Finland. So, <laughs> as I usually say in the beginning of every episode, we love cinema in pretty much all its forms. Therefore, with this week's episode, we officially start the international cinema episodes. And the first international cinema movie that we will cover in this podcast is a Polish movie, The Imeo, or in the name of, made in 2013. Just a little bit about ourselves, so if you haven't listened to this podcast before, I am indeed Karri, and... I worked in TV productions for a while, and now with Henrik we have built this podcast to talk about our passion, the cinema. My co-host is indeed a sort of a movie encyclopedia as well, kind of a cinephile, and we want to tell you kind of everything about everything. We've had Halloween here, and all kinds of different films. That's what we like to do. But we also like to get a little technical sometimes. But fear not, our listeners. We like to make it as palatable as possible for the layman. All right. Today's devotion is indeed... Well, it involves religion and sexuality in a conservative environment. But to get this kicked off, I will ask Magda the first question of the evening. What do you do? Oh. I'm uh, currently, I'm a presentation designer uh, in a branding agency. Uh, before, I was working as proofreader and editor for advertising agency as well, but also for lifestyle magazines, books, and so on. I graduated free other studies. So apparently, my job is a theater critic. But it's not what I do uh, like for a living. I've never been a theater critic, really. Okay, that's actually fascinating. Kind of fits our modus operandi here, in a way. Mm-hmm. And thanks a lot, Magda, actually, for joining Thank us. You. Because it's... Thank you for the invitation. <laughs> no problem at all. Thank you. Nice to have you here. Thank you. Nice to hear you. Magda, we probably met in 2014 in Krakow. It's like a yes. long time ago, long time. <laughs> yes. yeah, something like that. I believe we got to know each other via Couchsurfing, is that correct? If I'm yeah. entirely correct. in Helsinki. Right. I'm sure we've met in Helsinki, just well, for yeah. beer or something or stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. So, 
Magda, um, <laughs> this is kind of a personal question, but what's your relationship or um, experience with Catholicism? Uh, what's your environment at home regarding religion? Okay. You don't have to talk about it if you don't want to, but if you want to, you can go ahead. Uh, oh, so the story is probably as long as my uh, life is, because of course I was baptized uh, when I was unaware of anything. And my parents were not very religious, but we were actually um, living in a conservative Catholic country, which Poland definitely is. So all this stuff like going to church on Sundays, having like attending uh, religion classes at school were also involved. And I was actually quite religious when I was a teenager, but apparently I started to, yes, think it through over and over. And <laughs> since uh, many years, I'm rather, let's say, agnostic, maybe. For sure, I do not support the church system in Poland. And I do not support beliefs. I'm far away from church now, and it was a process, I'd say. I was watching Total Eclipse by Agnieszka Holland, which is a Polish director, but uh, she made a movie with uh, David Lewis and Leonardo DiCaprio about uh, Jean-Arthur Rimbaud and uh, Paul Verleo. And they were gays. And this was actually the first movie about gay romance, gay love I've ever watched. And later on, I've said Philadelphia, <laughs> of course, with Tom Hanks. And I started to think that what Catholic Church says about homosexuality and sexuality at all, and about the role of the, of women is not really applying to the modern life, I'd say, and that it gave me more harm than benefits. All right. So, well, maybe I can share something about my so-called religious background as well. So, well, Finland is basically an evangelical Lutheran country, so... <clears throat> and ever since I became nine or ten... I remember I started to get very against all the ideas that I was hearing in church and here and there mm -hmm. about religion. And with my friends, we kind of started to, you know, make fun of what the priest told us or what we read from the Bible, you know, kids. So then later, mm -hmm. shockingly, I realized that I do not believe in the teachings. And when I was about 20 years old, I resigned from the church. Fair enough. And I don't even know if my father still knows that I have resigned from the church. So if you haven't heard, then greetings, Dad. <laughs> Bless you. And would he be uh, I don't know, complaining about it or being disappointed? <laughs> uh, I don't really know at this point. I would say that our family has never been very religious per mm. se but it may be the case that our family has kind of tried to keep up some kind of an image of a good christian family i don't know if okay. el henrique wants to contribute into these things that's why i'm asking well i surely can take part since everybody else has done this i also am a, am a lutheran as mm. most of people in finland are my mother is religious but pretty open-minded and not pushy way. Like, religion has manifested in 
my childhood in small ways, but usually it's been like a bedtime prayers, stuff like that. We don't have had any uh, crucifixes on all our walls, and, and we have not been locked in any kind of a homemade altar that has been inside of a, a locked cabin. But mostly I have been pretty much like a typical Finn. is very passive mm-hmm. in my faith. Like, I still belong to church. I have not resigned. But I do not actively go to church, nor do I take active part in any of the church's operations. I went through the educational camp, Rippikoulu. But yeah, I'm not practicing faith. I could say. You know, looking at it now, it feels really weird to think that we have actually had had some good night's prayers at home. I must say, I know some Polish families which pray every evening, for example. Maybe it's not very yeah. common, but it's also not super rare. So, yeah, it happens in Poland as well. Mm. Yeah, I would kind of guess that that could be a situation in most of the societies that have religion that is kind of a part of everyone's life from the childhood so it's carried over throughout your life but mm-hmm. it's not super aggressive mm-hmm. like it can be for example in the united states or at least I can't say anything for poland but i would say that the experiences that i and Kari have on praying and religion at home is i would hazard a guess that it's pretty much the typical Finnish way of practicing religion. Yeah, it's like if I look at Finland, I, I, I could basically say that in practice, religion has already died in Finland. Yeah, perhaps my grandparents go to listen to an occasional Christmas concert once a year and something else, like special events mm-hmm. in the church, but I believe that's it. Don't you have any traditions like Santa Lucia in Sweden? When there are, for example, school children, there are like, attending. The, they, yeah. yeah, we have some. Yeah, but hmm? Santa Lucia is kind of seen as the you know, Swedish. But, uh, something, something similar, like I meant, not, maybe not exactly Santa Lucia, but some kind of a feast that gathers uh, in the church, even people who don't normally go to church. Funnily enough, I can't think of anything like that. Henrik? Well, yeah. I mean, we still have... I'm not exactly sure how our version of Santa Lucia compares to the Swedish version. We, we have the Lucian Päivä, hmm? uh, in which we have the figure of Lucian Neito, Lucia Maiden. Hmm? But we okay. have that in Finland. That there are, for example... I went to this smaller, not the most well-versed public schools in my youth. And, well, in my schools, we had these Christmas traditions mm-hmm. during the typical Christian holidays. For example, closing to Christmas, we had some Christian traditions at Easter. We had some. We had visiting priests in our schools or in my schools. And there are some public events also organized by either the church or then Christian organizations. 
But we have, for example, the holiday feast for the less fortunate mm-hmm. every year in Finland, done by Veiko and Lahaja Hursti's work of charity. But once again, uh, not tied directly to the church, but a Christian organization. So we 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 have these kind of a yearly events in Finland which still kind of a, one way or the another ties into Christianity or practicing faith. Yeah. So lately there's been in Poland this a certain movie that has made a lot of fuss. Kler. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah, it caused quite a disruption in the space-time continuum. The Fleek Lab was able to detect quite a lot of political corruption in the public entities that give out the annual public awards because in a uh, yes. film festival uh, in Gdynia there was an incident where they gave Claire the biggest top rounds of applause which should automatically give the movie Zwotu Klakier of the year which is presented each year by Radio Gdansk. However, then the managing director at Radio Gdansk then decided that he will not give a golden clapper to any movie this year because quote apparently it's an impossibility of objective assessment of survey accuracy or something like that Mm -hmm. yeah it kind of reflects uh, how much emotion and uh, controversy this movie is appearing to have it was uh, very much criticized by the catholic church no surprise there as well as the pis or piss party well, everybody commented even before watching the movie. So it was quite funny <laughs> observe, observing it. But of course, it's definitely a blockbuster in Poland now. It was, yeah. <laughs> yes, it was uh, banned in, I think, in Ostrowenka. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and in some other cities. How is it possible? I don't know if it's legal. I, I have no idea how it's possible, but apparently it was possible. Uh, anyways, uh, it it got some really really outstanding box office. I think more than three million people watched it now. Yeah, isn't that the most market. successful movie in Poland's history it's, now? It's, yes, it's it's the most successful Polish movie ever. <laughs> it's just like I think it's our national quality. When we are told not to do something, we would do it <laughs> at once, and it was the best publicity it could get. I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's it's like it's uh, this director uh, is a really interesting artist. I don't really mm-hmm. think he's a genius, but and I'm for example I'm not <coughs> able to watch all his movies because they are too brutal for me. Oh yeah, it's the same guy who directed Ruja. Ruja and Wołyń and Trogówka and Wesele. Wojciech Smarzowski. And actually, this movie was attacked really heavily, but in Claire. There is nothing more than in his previous movies. It's like he treats all the people the same. So it's, I'd say it's naturalistic. It's very brutal. It's very pessimistic. Although in Claire, I was able to watch it. So it's, I think it's not that bad. And it's not that pessimistic. It gives some hope. It tells that not all people are bad and not all priests are bad. Some of them were used as well, and there's always hope for everybody, I think. We were told that it's a smear campaign against priests and church in Poland, but after all, 
it's a movie about people's dramas and about hard choices and about hard stuff they had to come through. Of course, there are some really terrible priests there, but it's just how this director uh, presents the reality, not only the church. Yeah, and lately there's been some other problems as well. If we switch to the homosexuality for a little bit, they were trying to have the first ever rainbow parade in Lublin, mm -hmm. but they seemed to be very hard to do. Was it like the governor of Lublin banned it, but then the court said that that's an illegal move and they have a right to have their parade, and so it happened. It happened, exactly. Um, I think 1,500 people attended on LGBT side, and of course there were some uh, like Nazi people who tried to yeah. stop it. I mean, it's a bit surprising because this has been almost like a no-brainer and easygoing events now around in Poland. They have been around Poland for quite a while, and this was the first time in Lublin, and of course... Uh, Huge counter-protesting was in motion as well. I think the atmosphere in Poland is changing to more conservative one, to more, let's say, patriotic. But in some cases, it's about being more xenophobic. So um, yeah. afraid of refugees, afraid of homosexuals, afraid of anything which is kind of different. But of course, it's not different. It's just... Like, many people do not even realize they know a homosexual uh, and they uh, talk to them on a regular basis. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, especially in uh, smaller cities. It's such a huge contrast. Like, I came to live to Poland for three years and I knew that it's going to be more religious than Finland. But to expect something like this in different ways of seeing things, uh, that was shocking. Of course, there is the popular bedtime story that like 90% of Poles or so are religious and Catholic. But that's not, of course, how it is in like practice. People are Catholic maybe on paper, but that's it. Many people. Maybe it's like the religious or Catholic history. Or, or what could be the reason that so many people still seem to identify with Catholic values that much? There's a lot of issues with accepting homosexuality in some parts. and It's probably stemming from religion, even if you're not religious in your identity, which is kind of surprising to me. To say, also, I don't want to like to complain uh, that uh, all Catholics are against homosexuals and so on, because it's not like that uh, as well. I know I mm. really like, I know really nice Catholics <laughs> who are open to like, oh, of course. Much, like, everything they, uh, they can, to any diversity they can see or meet. Mm, but uh, hard to say, it's like, first of all, Catholic Church is really strong in Poland, also due to the fact it was one of the main points of fight with communist governance in, in the second yeah. half of the 20th century. So afterwards, it was also politically rewarded. Let's say. Yeah, and, and I see what you're uh, yes, saying. And that's a strong, and it's also strong among people as well, because many people can't imagine not going to church on Sunday, not to respect your priest, mm. not to send a child to religious classes. 
at school. Many people are Catholic. I don't know exact numbers, but I'd say that 90% of Polish people are Catholic, at least on paper. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So they wouldn't even go to church, but they uh, would uh, have a church. They would wed in church because it's a uh, it's a tradition. Mm. They would do it for their parents, for grandparents, mm. for other people as well, mm. especially in like smaller cities or villages. It's hard for me to talk about reasons because it's like homosexuals were not treated well in Poland at all, I think, during the yeah. communist period as well. So I think I have nothing to say mm. about the real reasons. It may be really complex. Yep. From reading about like Catholicism, the Pope, it probably has a huge influence on people's ideas, perhaps that the Pope seems to have a lot to do with the, or people associate the Pope as one of the main components of ending communism in mm -hmm. Poland and in Eastern states. Exactly. So perhaps because of that, that kind of validates the church. I think so. I think so. But church was strong uh, in Poland before as well. So it's a, like, I'd say, yep. really long, really long tradition. Mm. And actually, right. in everyday life, like Christian values, like being good to everyone and being like loving people and loving God, it's letting God rule your life so you could be happy. It's tempting, really, <laughs> I think. Hmm. All right. We have had this little tradition in this show where we try to look for the drink that is being drank in the movie that we go through. So in this particular film, there's, I believe, beer, vodka and some cases of marijuana use. <clears throat> in this episode, I decided to have some Heineken beer. I wasn't sure what kind of beer they were drinking. So, And after all, there's no Polish beers in Spain pretty much here. So, Henrik, what did you choose? I went with beer also. Hey. I actually managed to find something which I can't even pronounce. It's Polish? <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, it's a... Polish beer, it's the only <laughs> Polish beer that I managed to find in Finland. It's probably Żywiec. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm willing to believe that that's what this is. Is it Z with a dot? It, it, uh, yeah, it's a Z Y W I E C. Yeah, my old friend, Żywiec. One, one of the yeah. most popular Polish beers. Okay, I I have no idea how to pronounce <laughs> any of the Polish names. I apologize that for already at this part of the podcast. Oh, no worries. But I have one bottle of that, and that's the maximum amount of alcohol I'm willing to consume during this episode. Otherwise, I'm sticking to coffee and tea, since okay. I'm a bit under the weather here. Mm -hmm. I was housing someone else in my flat and she had managed to catch a flu from one of her friends and then passed it on to me. Mm. Excellent. That's how it works. Oh. Yeah, now I'm stuck with the leftover flu. I'm like, I'm the current wasteland of everybody else's second-hand diseases. Maybe it has electronically traveled to me as well. So thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, apologies for that. 
And also to all our listeners, if in the recording of this episode, there is some weird noises that can't be cleaned off from the background, you know, my apologies for that. Worries from my side. I think Kari will deal with it. I, I hope. Yeah, Kari is our kind of a sound wizard in this podcast. And he has managed to do a pretty stellar job previously, you know, covering up for all my mistakes and bad behavior here on this podcast. Oh, <laughs> I don't believe it. I don't bad. either. <laughs> you haven't heard what has ended up in the cutting room floor previously. <laughs> yeah. In a previous episode with Henrik, we were talking about Polish beers. I was giving a lot of praise to those. We did not touch on regular beers like Zhivietz. And indeed, if they have nothing else to offer in Finland for Polish beers, then Zhivietz is probably the one that they should at least have. And Henrik, how is it? Must be better than Karhu. Admit it. <laughs> you, you know, I, I will never admit that anything, any beer is better than Karhu. <laughs> you have to because we have a Polish guest, so both the Zhivietz. <laughs> no, no way. This is a matter of... I don't know even how you pronounce it. Zhivietsi. Like Purilain and Pride. Like... I mean, when it comes to Karhu, Karhu is a matter of pride. Zhivietz is a city where the beer is made. And it's always like that, that the beer takes its name after the city it's made in. Okay. Karhu, I know, Karhu is a beer, right? Beer bear symbios. Yeah. yeah. Karhu is a beer. I've and a it. lifestyle. For, oh. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, main and foremost, Karhu is a lifestyle. Okay. No, no. Is there Sisu involved? Sisu, is this the name of this Finnish lifestyle? Sisu. Yeah, Sisu. No, no. No, uh, no not in Karhu. Uh, not, not in Karhu, no. Okay. Yeah, yes, there is, because it takes Sisu to drink one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I will not tolerate this kind of heresy <laughs> here on this podcast. <laughs> But right. actually, I know this other word in Finnish, kasarikannit. Right? And it yeah, means... that's what you will you will achieve those with Karahu. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And I've also drunk Lapin Kulta, right? Uh, 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 yeah. I I I feel sorry for you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I just chose it because it was Finnish. Yeah, the Finnish beers are all the same for me. I I like like just normal beers with no taste. I call them corporate beers. I kind of like them. <laughs> All right. Well, today's movie. Let's start to move on mm-hmm. to that one. We have a Vimeo, as mentioned before. It's about a gay priest with talent to straighten out delinquent lads. Mm-hmm. He's tackling with his sexuality at this camp. It's an extremely complicated, multifaceted movie once again, and it's going to cause some trouble to us, I think. But let's try to get into it anyway. So Yeah, so you have been kind of driving us forward to tackle on this movie on this podcast for some time now, Kari. Yep. I myself, I have never seen this movie before. This has been my first time seeing this movie or anything from this director and this writer. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So I, I have no past experience on this film or anything related to this movie. So, Gary, I guess this falls to you to tell us about your relationship with today's film. Okay, if you put it that way. I've seen it only once before. And, well, considering the political climate in Poland, and as we have seen how the marches have gone as of late, and how we have seen homosexuality perceived, I thought it was the perfect movie to time it here with the latest movie Claire as well. And there is the off chance that I'm giving a tiny little tease to piss. Just maybe. Okay, well, you know, just to make this perfectly clear to everyone, I'm here just as a co-host. I resign from from all of this kind of a political activism <laughs> that that Kari presents here on this podcast. Well, and... <laughs> all right, about Catholic Church. Catholic Church has 1.3 billion real-life followers, so likes, and baptized people. The church is led by the Pope. Central administration happens in Vatican City, as most people know. Founded by Jesus Christ, no less. And they are the number one provider of healthcare and education in the world after all the non-governmental parties. Yeah, if I may interrupt, well, we, we are actually as a nation a bit angry about, like, we like to complain about Catholic Church and so on. But you cannot also forget about all the good stuff they do. <laughs> Yeah. Like schools and so on, and really helping people. Of course, there are some terrible stories behind it as well, but overall, Catholic Church consists of many great people as well. So, yeah. Yeah, they have been doing some very good things as well. And 17.8% of the world's population are Catholics, so that's a pretty nice collection of people. The Polish Pope was John Paul II. He was there for 27 years. Can't tell. Died in 2005. Yeah. And the current Pope is Pope Francis. 266th Pope. All right. I have collected way too many notes for this episode. Well, that's a good thing because when it comes to Catholicism in Poland and the LGBT issues in Poland, I'm completely out of my water. And this is the reason why we have Magda here. But Magda, what is your relationship with this film? Actually, I've watched it recently. Mm-hmm. I do not watch many Polish movies. And if I do, I choose like really recent movies with good publicity. So it's like blockbusters, which everybody's talking about. So I go to see it with my friends, for example. Okay. Yeah, but in general, I don't watch much Polish movies. I think they are getting better and better, but still there's something I feel uncomfortable about if it comes to like artistic level of these movies. Okay, interesting. I have never made any movie, so I, I yeah. don't know if I can be that critical. Uh, yeah. yeah, I kind of always liked Polish movies. I don't know why. Which one is your favorite? Do you have hmm. any favorite? I suppose I should say Nuž Vyvodzie. English title is uh, Knife in the Water. Yeah. Knife in the Water, I think, yes. So that comes to mind right away. Mm-hmm. I have liked also Just Honor TV series, Time of Honor. And I did like Katyn. Mm-hmm. And I even liked the 
Miesto 44. So a lot of war movies, and I believe Poland is the most known for war movies. Nothing wrong with that. I like a lot of those. Sometimes I'm not in the mood of watching these, but sometimes I am. I think what you do with those those movies is really great, and the Polish cinematography is some of the best that you can get from Europe. Oh. Yeah, this realisticity aspect of the cinematography, which is kind of common for many European movies. But yeah, that's great. Beautifully shot and realistic films. Maybe because I'm not looking for a realistic look in films. So, yeah. yeah, okay. So You must remember Polish people like to complain about everything. Also mm-hmm. about complaining. So I don't want to be too critical towards like Polish cinematography. Because, well, I haven't ever made a movie, so what can I say about it? If I want a realistic approach, I would look through the window, I think. All right, if we start going by scene by scene, this movie. Mm-hmm. It starts with logos, as they usually do, and any thoughts on the logos? Just kidding. B- bunch of logos. <laughs> well, they had to get money, so... Yeah, the first scene is what I guess is a take on a present-day Poland. Yeah, the whole movie should be from the same time period. Yeah, one thing with the movie is it never said out what time period it's based on. Yeah, that's true. Like, yeah, I myself am not familiar with Poland, mm-hmm. so I I can't I can't guess the time period. That easily from simply from the visual cues this movie gives to me. Okay, it's a nice nice input because I I wouldn't uh, say that it's so hard to determine. It's in the middle of nowhere. Let's say time period is not really fixed. I think not really determined. But I'd say it's more or less contemporary. You could say by clothes, for example. Yeah, I mean the. Biggest clue I managed to find from the film is the use of headphones and yes. small, yeah, small things of modern technology. But it's happening in the village, in a small village, where it's not that obvious that we're in the modern times. <laughs> but of course, Polish village is not like it's it's not based in the 19th century. It's based in 21st century. I really think it's on purpose that time and place is not really literally said. Yeah. This movie has this playful part as the first scene where kids are playing around at the camp. The next scene is when the priest is running in the forest. And this is going to be kind of a theme in the film. We see him doing the running like three or four times. Mm-hmm. It seems to be kind of his way of dealing with the stress of the camp or the boredom or getting out of the headspace of the feelings that he kind of starts to develop or the kind of uncomfortableness, maybe being the priest and maybe to keep his distance that he doesn't raise any suspicion. Great. I, I don't think I have anything to add here. In this first scene where children, young boys, bully this guy is one of the best scenes with children in polish movies i have ever seen they are totally natural yeah I'd say. yeah they felt very natural for me these young actors mm-hmm. 
Have you seen these actors anywhere before, or are these new actors, maybe? Oh no, I think I don't think they are professional actors. Yeah, yeah. Some of them are professional actors, but not all of them. And then in this party, we meet Eva. This actor is very prominent in Polish films. She's also in Jazz Honoru and all over the place. Uh, her name is Maja Ostashevska. She was also involved in the some previous movie by Małgosia Szumowska, which was called Badi Ciało. It was also okay. quite popular, yes. This is the woman who tries to seduce the priest in vain, as we can see. Yeah. She's having a dance with the priest and later they share a hug and the woman Eva tries to give herself to him, to the priest. Mm -hmm. But I think that's always kind of a bad idea. <laughs> we have a lot of these scenes of this playing around. Sometimes it feels like we're just watching nothing. Basically, yeah, they're just sitting by the campfire, mm -hmm. eating, they're talking about their boy things. Maybe this is just the movie's way of kind of showing us the that there's not much to do at the camp. I think so. Mm. Overall, I hate scenes like this, <laughs> but in this movie, it really works. Yeah. It really works well. It's like builds atmosphere. It builds the whole picture, I'd say, as well. Exactly. It can be either really boring or it can really contribute to the environment and how you feel it. Uh, and about this scene with Ada, because the priest's name is Adam. And as you told before, this woman's name is Eva. So <laughs> I really, I yeah. can't stand it in movies. This is so... I didn't even catch that. This is so cheaply symbolic. I know it should have some other meanings and it should be like deep, but no, thank you, no. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of that in this movie, kind of mm -hmm. this. Yes. Well, bit cheap symbolism mm -hmm. my kind of a pet peeve when it comes to the symbolism in the film is the sermons that the priest gives in which there is a lot of kind of a foreshadowing and hand waving given to the direction that he is a closeted homosexual and there's at least two scenes where the priest is trying to sleep but fails and in this first occurrence he I guess gets bored and goes to the bathroom, to the bathtub, to be the masturbating priest. And when you look at this, you could kind of go two ways about this, I guess. You could kind of see this as something that just was thrown out there to be something controversial in this film. Or you can just look at it and say that the priest is really bored and trying to do something about it. Bored or fighting with his sexuality, because... Yeah, okay, also. If he's priest, it doesn't mean he's not a man, right? So I'd like to emphasize how the scene is made. We don't see the whole body of the hero, just his face. So it's a kind of nice idea how to show masturbation scene with not being very literal, but still quite clear and really interesting. I just like to throw it out there. I thought there was... Uh... I thought there was a really weird cut at 1550 mark. It was quite distracting and I'm not sure why it is there. There is a shot of Eva looking outside of the window at the kid. And next shot we see her back to the window. Nevertheless, 
Eva is still almost at the same exact position in the picture frame, which is distracting. This was kind of distracting on the first viewing of the movie, not so, not so much on the second for some reason. But yeah, it's something that you just don't do in cinematography, and I was kind of surprised to see this kind of a bending of the cinematography rules, basically, is what I'm seeing right there. So Eva is kind of here to exemplify her own boredom at the camp, but I suppose it's more about sexual frustration, just getting into the priest's pants. Also speaks out about being bored, really bored after moving from bigger city to this really middle of nowhere with her husband. Yeah, it's just basically how the movie evolves all the time. You cut to the bored priest on his bed, and then you cut to the scene where the boys are playing around, and and in one of these scenes the character Wukash, or Humpty, gets beaten up, Mm -hmm. which is where we get the first confirmation that something might be going on with these two. Definitely this camper guy is quite young in this film. The actor is probably 27 years old during Uh, the filming and sort of the love interest of the priest. He was 27. Now he's 32. His wife is Małgorzata Szumowska, who is a director. Ooh, so clearly there is the the age difference thing. Yes, of course. And uh, I think he performs a much younger boy than he really is. Yeah. Was at the moment. So what is your take on the ages of the campers? Like, how old did you two perceive that the campers are in this film? Mm, it's different, like young teenagers to even probably 17, because they are people who could get to the center. Yeah, I'm just curious, because I am not aware that we would have these kind of uh, mm-hmm. Christian camps in Finland. This is a kind of a center for troubled teenagers, but if they weren't there, they should probably be sent to reformatory for teenagers. So they get there before they are adults and they can go to prison. Before they can be sentenced to go to prison, if they are young teenagers and they commit a crime or or steal something, something like that, they may be put in reformatory in Poland. But here, uh, this center is not reformatory. It's something that is supposed to help these boys out without punishing them. But there's also this threat, and it's even told in the movie, that if they don't behave well, they would get back to the reformatory. They are probably younger than 18, all of them. But this dynia, which is, as Kari said, love interests of priests, is probably older because he's not one of these troubled teenagers. He's a part of the family which lives nearby. Yeah, could be 23, 25-ish. But I think he's still supposed to be a teenager. Really? Yes, I think they would be probably sent out to prison. He may be definitely like 21, 23, yeah. Yeah, okay. Thank goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Because apparently, I mean, we've got all this pedophilia uh, scandal in Polish church at the moment as well, uh, exactly like in like United States, Australia, and so on. But here, apparently, this priest is not attracted to young boys. He's attracted to men. Yeah, we could actually talk about this for a while, because there is the 
pedophilia scandal exploding around and without knowing that much about it, I would say that it's stemming simply from sexual frustration and lack of choice. So Probably. when you are in the priesthood, that's the easiest target to go for. Exactly. Yes, there are more pedophilia among priests than among other people. Probably it's the easiest way. And uh, it's also about, uh, like, they have power over these children. It's easier to have power over yeah. children than over a grown-up. Yeah. And since we're talking about it, we can talk about the scene where the priest calls, is it his friend? And they're calling over Skype. And the priest says, which first sounds very con controversial when he says that he could fuck all of them. And he laughs. I don't remember that one. That's strange. But yeah, okay. The meaning that I find in this is just simply that he's explaining his frustration. He's in a situation where he doesn't know what to do. He explains that, of course, he's not a pedophile, but he's, uh, he's in a situation where he's really frustrated and he cannot be himself. Mind that he never did anything that uh, could really, like... Let us think that he might use this voice. Yeah, it was it was just like being frustrated and like admitting that there might be this possibility, but he won't do it. I yeah. So. Like I said, easy movie to tackle with. All of these themes floating around. And um, there are some scenes that I cannot really make any sense out of. We have one scene where Humpty is talking with the priest on the road and then decides to run into the cornfields. Ah, yeah. Does it make you feel uncomfortable? Um, no, I just don't understand it. Okay. <laughs> Maybe he just wants to play around. Yeah, I think so. It's just like... Uh, Out of boredom, perhaps. Being free, being a child of nature, like Rousseau's child of nature, which gives us the possibility to run away from any limits, borders and orders that society gives us. Oh, okay. About like getting think about getting like back that. to nature. Act a bit like animal. <laughs> Each animal is innocent because they have no feel of guilt, feel of sin, which is so important in terms of Catholic uh, religion. What about the caesaring girl scene? The girl is caesaring on the ground and everybody is just staring and the priest is the only one who is trying to help. Ah, priest is the only one in the situation here mm -hmm. who's responding very calmly and down-to-earthly to all kinds of situations that other people perhaps see as complicated and frustrating. Here I don't understand why no one's helping. Or is everyone thinking that she's possessed or something? Uh, why are they just standing? People are... Um, I don't know if it's true or false, but I've seen a movie or I've heard about movie uh, in which somebody tried to save a girl who was in seizure and some other people came to her and tried to exorcise her. And they really disturbed or bothered people who tried to really help her because she was definitely sick. It was epilepsy. Yeah. It was just a short video made in one of Polish cities. So I think I'm afraid there are still people who believe that first of all they may not know what to do second of all they may still but i hope not many of them they may think it's really a like 
devil's possession or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but it's also about, I think it's also about the character, uh, about Adam's character. It's been told by a bishop, but he's a kind of natural born leader who has a vision, who knows how to like make it happen, and who also has a natural gift to lead people. Of course, he's the one who would do something as the first one. Right. And there are at least two occasions where someone is trying to kill himself. And on one occasion, they are successful with that. One situation is where Humpty jumps to the water and he's not coming back. It felt like a suicide attempt, actually. Then there is the case of boy dressed in red shirt who confesses to the priest what he's doing with his friends when he's not seeing. Smoking pot. And he tells about this blowjob incident from the previous camp, mm-hmm. I believe. And he kills himself successfully later. Yeah, he does hang himself in the woods. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My take on the Humpty's case is that it was not an attempt at suicide, but it was just really bad miscalculation from Humpty's part. Maybe showing off. Yeah, Sh- showing off and trying to pull off a stunt even though you don't know how to swim. Like, that was level A stupidity, but I never took it as an attempt of suicide. Yeah, I guess you're right. I just took it as that because he's also one of the one of the homosexual characters. He could possibly try this. I'm not saying that... The guy dressed in red is necessarily, but definitely engages in homosexual activities. Uh, and when it comes to his suicide, which apparently really is, that is 100% suicide. It's kind of a hard to, at least for me to say what are the exact reasons and the causes for him to kill himself in this film. Yeah, I guess just the societal pressure and being... I suppose gay, that's the only thing I can think of. What's really disturbing, I think, here is the blonde's non-reaction after the guy has hanged himself and he just goes to the priest to say that he wants the same thing as the priest Mm -hmm. wants. And Mm -hmm. that's it. He doesn't feel any remorse or something. Or doesn't have any feelings about it, about what happened. Yeah, because I, I fully admit that I have, I may have misread what the film was trying to say here on this moment, but I was not sure if the interaction between Groby and Blondie mm-hmm. was meant to imply that Blondie was sexually abusing Groby. That's entirely possible. Uh, but to come out of it just feeling nothing, that's shocking. Possible, but maybe he might be also seducing him. It's not actually, I think it's not clear. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely, and I'm not making the case that that would be clearly implied in this film. But that was kind of a, this nagging feeling that I got into the back of my head when I was watching these scenes in the movie. It seems that the guy in red doesn't feel entirely comfortable when they are meeting in the bathroom mm-hmm. and they're looking at each other via the mirror. Or maybe it's just the fact that he feels uncomfortable about his sexuality due to the risk of exposure at Catholic camp. Or going through homosexual acts as well. He may not accept himself as a homosexual, for example. 
but these are uh, actually I thought it's the is the case. But when you started presenting some other interpretations, I'd say that your ones are are really like good as well. So Magda, what do you think about this throwing of the Pope's portrait around the room while the priest is drinking? I think this caused some kind of a fuss in Poland, yeah? Uh, I mean, maybe in smaller cities and so on. And still, I don't want to sound like thinking that smaller cities are... Yeah, I, I suppose it's always the case <laughs> that towns, villages are, I suppose what you're trying to say, more conservative. Also more conservative, but let's say more conservative Catholics, but maybe my grandmother would be outraged. But we can see different movies as well, and we are uh, open to the fact that it's a um, kind of artistic creation. And yeah. uh, also, there are not uh, not all Polish people love the Pope. That's, the, that's yeah. another case. Yeah, that's the scene really kind of ties it all together, shows the range of problems and feelings. Well, the most obvious interpretation is that he just wanted to fight uh, with all these rules and with all this structure and with his super ego. But after all, he decided to be a priest by himself. I, and for him, it was, as he told, it was a kind of a rescue as well from whom he was before because he felt spoiled. He felt uh, broken, and as we can imagine, he probably drank too much. Maybe he thought uh, it would be a rescue for him. Yeah, but I also liked that this is not also simply about homosexuality, because there was one review that wonderfully put it, that this is not a story about a type of person, but it's a story about a person. Exactly. I'd say the same. Yeah. Meanwhile, the kids now also know that something is going on with the priest because they have found out that the church keeps moving this guy around. Mm -hmm. And I believe this is because he has, I suppose, problems with his sexuality. In his room store, he sees this short stupido. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which is, the priest is a faggot. I suppose it was Blondie who did that. As some kind mm. of a vengeance. Can't tell. Yeah, can't tell because this text is written before the Blondian priest have their confrontation. I don't think it's important who did it. It's mm. this community who did it, really. Yeah. After this hanging incident, the character of the church, Michał Rashevsky, visits, I believe, another priest. Uh, it's a bishop, I think. Of course, of course. He's higher in the hierarchy, than a, than a regular priest. Yeah, he meets the bishop, and Mihao thinks he has seen something uncomfortable <laughs> from the priest Adam. Okay, so, yeah, the reaction of the bishop to Mihao's explanation that there's something weird going on, he doesn't seem to be too interested in it, which kind of distracted me enough. He does say that he will do something about this, but it doesn't seem very convincing. Maybe because he's used to it, maybe because he believes in the specific person. Because what he says is uh, that this priest Adam is a true believer who can really lead people and who had really 
great achievements in his previous camps or centers for troubled children or teens. So he believes he's a really very intelligent as well. So he believes in him as right. a person. Mm. I don't know if he thinks that there might be something in these accusations. We all know how this system works when it comes to pedophilia or priests having actually wives in Poland, which is totally forbidden in Poland for priests, for uh, as for Catholic priests. I don't want to be very strict here to, to say that all his covering the sins of the priest and pedophilia or something like that. I also don't think that this film is about it. Well, I, I think that the film carries the theme of the cover-up. You think so? Yeah, I. it's not a major theme in this film, obviously, but I think that it is constantly present in the background mm, fair enough. of the movie because the film makes the case that this is something that the church is already kind of used to with Adam. The situation that the film presents, this one camp, is mm. not the first time that Adam has gotten into trouble. Mm which is being hinted by his sexuality. And but again, mm-hmm. so, so the church kind of has already formed their system on how to deal with Adam whenever mm-hmm. this kind of a scandal threatens to break out. Fair enough. I don't know about scandals. It seemed to me that the film explains it such that somebody makes a complaint to the bishop or the church and it could be about nothing or it could be just a wrong eye contact some somewhere and someone says that hey this guy is suspicious and then they move him Uh, it doesn't work like that Uh, first of all there are some priests that are uh, staying uh, in one place for years but normally it's parish priest let's say Uh, they are responsible for the for their parish so they stay there for many years. And also, if they are responsible for, for example, like foundation or a center, they are staying there for many years. But normally, priests uh, are moved from one place to another every few years. So it's not that um, uncommon uh, that he was sent to some other place. Okay. Okay. So then we have this video call to his sister. He lives in Toronto, right? Or does she? Yeah. Or it's some kind of a smart play with the word of the town or the city Torun. Because <laughs> in Torun there's a local newspaper as well, which is called Toronto. So I'm just saying. Oh, okay. Cool. I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> and they have this serious discussion. The sister is kind of ignoring what he's saying because he's drunk. And he explains basically that he's looking for somebody to hug, to kind of get this emotional connection. About Adam saying that he needs a hug. I'm not a priest, so I don't know how it's really like. But uh, in this Claire movie, there's also one scene when one young priest thanks to the other priest for being listened. I can't really tell how it works in real life because I haven't ever spoken to a priest about it. Uh, That uh, it seems to be a community, but when they need to, sometimes or very often they have no one to talk to. What do you think is happening in the 
in this shot when something is, some liquid is coming from beneath this closet. Now, is it his vodka bottle or is the priest peeing on the floor? I have no idea. I, I don't remember that scene as well, but okay. I remember he was like drinking heavily. Probably the bottle is broken. Yeah, they're walking in the fields in a formation with religious gear and then there is this rock music in the background. This is one of the most criticized scenes in the film because it kind of feels out of place for many. I think it was Corpus Christi. Okay. I think so. Which to the not so religious of us means? It's a kind of Catholic feast. It's happening between spring and summer. And Corpus Christi means the body of Christ. The body of Christ walk. Hmm? Uh, yeah, kind of, kind of. Okay. Yeah. It's celebrating the real presence of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Catholics believe that what we got during the Holy Mass is the real body and blood of Christ. Let's to celebrate it. And as we have discussed with Henrik in a previous episode, I have taken notice how many traditions I see in Poland and even in different cities. Some differences between traditions and which foods you eat and there's a lot of traditions and I think it also applies to, well this is not regional but it also applies to Catholic faith. There are some items, religious items that I have never even heard about. For example, Kropitwo. A person that I know okay. has the surname Kropitwowski. The Kropitwo is something that you would visually just think is some kind of a broom, but <laughs> it's actually used as some kind of a ceremonial item. It's, uh, it's called, it looks like a small broom indeed. It's called Kropitwo and it is used to spread the, like the holy water to bless the people. And it may be used on many occasions. Mostly during the Christmas period, we are visited by priests in our houses and they bless the houses. So they use right. this kropidwo to do it. Example. Yeah, this friend was just looking me straight into the eye and I could tell that he was just reading that I'm some kind of an idiot because I don't know what kropidwo <laughs> is. <laughs> but yeah, I didn't know. Obviously. Nothing actually comes to mind that we would use holy brooms. And I most definitely do not know enough about Polish traditions. So you must just come to Poland and, you know, see some of them. Some of them are really kind of nice, no matter if you're a Catholic. I'm always willing to visit the country that gave us Witcher. <laughs> oh, oh, great. <laughs> so <laughs> you must come. Do you play? Do you play the game? Way too much. Way too okay. much. Poor guy, the creator, I heard that when he created Witcher, he sold the rights for some small amount of money in some one small payment instead of taking a percentage of the future profits. <laughs> so I feel bad for the guy. I've heard about 35,000 slotes. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah, this movie does a lot of weird plot twists here. We see the priest leaving the camp and meanwhile our nice guy Wukash is burning down one of the buildings of the camp I'm not sure what it actually is it's, it's a it's a shop or a pub it's called Niagara I think right okay so we know something about Wukash's past behavior <laughs> I suppose arsonist 
maybe it's not literally told we have to think it over and we have to try to find some clues unliteral arsonist and then we establish that he works mm-hmm. in a construction site and he hears bad mouthing about the priest or something that they heard and then Wukash runs leaves his home travels with a train to see the priest thanks to this conversation he finds out the, where the priest really is when he was sent to oh yeah right yeah the bigger mystery here in my opinion is how the hell did Lukash manage to get a burn scar into his face ah i i can't tell the whole film can't tell us how on earth did that happen <laughs> but it's one of the most baffling mysteries in this film mm. I also like very much when in the following morning Wukash wakes up and I suppose he has left and the priest wakes up and there is this nice establishing shot of the room which looks very photographic. It's nice cinematography. I also like the cinematography. It establishing the shot in a sense that it plays homage to the to the old altar paintings that show the show Jesus after he has been crucified or or after he has died on the cross and after they have taken him down. Like there, there is a lot of similarities between how Adam is being portrayed in the establishing shot and with those outer paintings. Mm-hmm. Uh, Henrik, 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 am I pulling this totally out of my buttocks or were you at some point a priest? <laughs> Oh boy! Do, 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 do. I uh, technically yes, <laughs> but not in any practical sense. <laughs> okay. Okay. Because I was really worried about you during that time. <laughs> Because no, no, it's it's right. I was just shocked oh, about boy. this change. Do, do we get into trouble for this one? <laughs> but but no, no. It I managed to find one of these churches that kind of give you the status of the priest if you simply do the paperwork. Technically, it's an official status that you are being given. And in that sense, it's valid, at least in US. You you could technically pull this shit off. And that's what I did. I filled in the paperwork and basically got a confirmation from the US. But then again, that's that's... Something I made completely as a joke, and <laughs> you could do nothing with those papers in Finland. Trying to pull that shit off in Finland with those papers would have just, you know, landed me in trouble law-wise. Okay. What faith was it? It, it was Christian. Okay. Yeah, it, it was that weird time period when some of the Christian churches in America really wanted to have this, I, I don't know, was it a some kind of a PR stunt mm-hmm. or some attempt to market themselves or what it was all about. But they did allow this, mm-hmm. at least for a moment. And I, I just managed to, I managed to hit that particular time period when this was allowed in the US. Okay. In any serious sense, All my theological studies have been done completely on my free time and simply out of 
curiousness and I'm not an official priest. I have no official theological studies behind me. There is just a ton of books that I have read at some time. Okay. And that's all. The last scene of the movie is outside of a church, I believe. Well, there are priests outside and and the last shot is of Wukash as one of the priests. Now... And that's what I done understand and i do not understand that either uh, i don't know did adam convince him that it's worth being a priest or does it have any deeper meaning the guy is religious and is willing to follow his faith regardless of any repercussions maybe not but for me it's just following adam's steps right yeah the way i took it was that lukash got a bit joins the church to become a priest himself so he can stay more closer to Adam and kind of so that they could now be official colleagues and for example stay together by working together at the same parish and Lukash would also get paid for the time he is with Adam. That was kind of my reading but It's not completely set in stone. It's not completely unproblematic reading about the last scene. That's the best explanation that I have heard. But they can't choose. They can decide. They are not responsible. They, they cannot choose where they go. So, for example, if there's a, an affair between two priests, I'm pretty sure they wouldn't be sent to the same place at all. Mm. Yep, that's a valid point. And the other thing that came to my mind is that the Catholic Church that Lukash joins at the end of the film, mm. it's still not open to homosexuals. Well, And homosexuality is, as this movie shows up, it's not allowed for the priests to participate in. Actually, it's not, I mean... Well, the Church says that homosexual acts are contrary to the natural law. Yes, and it's not only for the priests. A church allows that the person might be homosexual, but they shouldn't realize their desires in reality. That's what Catholic Church would say. Yeah, under no circumstances they would approve any this kind of a relationship. But the official line also includes that homosexuals should be treated with respect and dignity. Exactly, yes. But they just can't be themselves. Yep. But Anyways, the Catholic Church uh, gives hundreds of rules and orders, customs which should be followed to be a good Catholic. And these rules also affect not only homosexuals, but like heterosexuals as well. Uh, and it's about their sexuality as well. I would say that the hopefulness is kind of a, a matter of how you read the last shot of the movie. Because like I said, my interpretation of what the last shot means is not completely problem-free. As an individual, Lukash is kind of a free to be the kind of a person he is. And mm -hmm. is more free to be, for example, homosexual. And at the end, by going to the seminar, Lukash basically joins the organization that would very clearly prevent him to actively live as a homosexual since now he would actually have to distinguish all those sexual uh, sexual urges 
somehow he follows Adam in this decision. In a way, yeah. Yeah, it could be said that it's uh, embracing the religion and trying to make the homosexuality and the beliefs to coexist. Yeah. Or then it's just Lukas trying to distance himself from being a homosexual by joining the organization that now gives him these walls around him. Or maybe Wukash has a master plan and he's about to become the second Polish Pope to disrupt the system and then announce himself as the homosexual one. Or then maybe he just for some reason has decided that he really wants to try not to stay as homosexual. That for some reason he wants to distance himself from those those sexual urges and he joins the church to kind of have this force outside of himself that prevents him from following those urges. Now I just realized what I really like about this film. It's that it's not clear, but it's not explicit. So I really like it. I liked a lot how far this movie went to kind of show the anguish and the difficulty of the situation that Adam was in mm-hmm. as a homosexual priest. Like, majority of this movie is not following Adam's relationship with anyone. M- most of the movie is just following Adam as he tries to extinguish his sexuality and tries to struggle with the fact that he's a homosexual priest. Mm-hmm. And in that context, I'd like to praise uh, Andrzej Hyra, who is Adam. He's a very good Polish actor. He's a really brilliant actor. That is. I, I would also like to like to give a little praise for the writers of this film. None of whose names I can pronounce. <laughs> <laughs> Małgorzata Szumowska, yes. She, she is to be praised for that movie as well. Yes, and Michael Englert. And the writing is something that I think is very strong in this film. Like a lesser film about the same subject would have Adam finding a companion or falling in love in the first 20 minutes. And the rest of the film would be just (laughs) following that relationship. Whereas this film spends almost the entire film following Adam's struggle with being who he is and then the relationship is just for the last 20 minutes yes exactly yeah it's an okay cast it just needs a tiny bit more jan englert he's supposed to be in all polish movies so yeah but uh, here we have michael englert oh there are who is uh, there are more <laughs> the screenwriter actually he's much younger than jan englert was a screenwriter for India in general. Mm-hmm. He's rather cameraman. Yeah, I, I was checking out the guy and noticed that he's done the cinematography for a lot of Sumovska's movies. Yes, because he was her husband as well. Well, okay. That kind of explains a lot when it comes to the resumes of the people working on this film because I did notice that there was a lot of cooperation with Sumovska and Englert in numerous films. There is some persons who have kind of traveled with Sumovska from one movie to another. Mm-hmm. For example, Maja Staszewska. 
Let's get to the categories. We have reached the film's end. Maybe we can start here. I guess we go through this in every movie, more or less. What would you improve in this film, if anything? It's what I told before. I hate this chip symbolism and I really can't stand it. But this film is really like a realistic movie with really great portrayals of real people. I don't think it's really needed to put them so literally in this symbolic situations. It's clear without it. Okay, I, I am more forgiving to the symbolism in this movie, even though all the symbolism is extremely obvious here and not subtle in any way. But uh, it still didn't bother me that much. If I would tamper with something in this film, I, I guess I would somehow, I don't know how, but somehow change the scene where Michal sees Adam hugging Humpty in the car. Which, mm. we, we, yeah, we, which is kind of the scene that finally starts Adam's downfall and causes him to be removed from the parish he's currently mm. working on. Mainly because all that Michal can see in, in that one moment that lasts like like a quarter of a second, Michal can only see Adam hugging Humpty. Mm. And I, I would actually make the case that that would be out or make some excuse that would save him from being transferred. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also didn't have any trouble with the symbolism. Maybe I felt that the movie was trying too hard to make its point, which we already got on the first time. Maybe I should mm-hmm. also modify the weird bit of editing from shot to shot at 1550. I think that's all. Yeah, maybe a little bit smoothness into the editing on that that one scene change. Yeah, like I said, it's extremely rough. Okay, so you see it too. Great. I did notice too when I was watching this film. Okay, so I'm not completely crazy. Favorite performance? Maybe Magda goes first. Well, you can probably guess. It's uh, Andre Ferreira, definitely. (laughs) He's like... God. And he's really good in this movie. He's like, it's, it's all in his eyes. You can see his. Uh, it's not about funny face he's making, but it's about what he thinks, what he feels, and how much he struggles. Yeah, definitely for me, it also goes to Andrzej Hura. From him, you get the most performance in this movie, the most moments where you need to perform. Other than that, Maya Ostashevska is great as always. Yeah, I too also name Andrzej Hura yes. as as the. As my favorite actor with Mateus, uh, something I can't pronounce, but the actor playing Humpty as a close second. It's uh, Mateusz Kościukiewicz. Yeah. Kościukiewicz. I know it's, I know, I'm, I'm, I know it's, it's really hard for you, <laughs> really. No, but, don't but worry. Yeah. Don't worry about yeah. it. You're doing well. Kościukiewicz or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Extremely close second. Almost a tie with Tira. Yeah, this next one doesn't exactly fit the current genre, but favorite kill? I think we will skip it this time. <laughs> well, well, I, 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 I would <laughs> name the scene where Groovy, or what, what his name ever actually was, hangs himself in the woods. Okay. <laughs> like, I, you know, that's... I think I had a gap 
uh, it was about uh, the, the favorite scene, right? Right, right, I'm favorite scene. Go ahead. I'd say that it's that moment where Dinya is washing windows. That's great, yeah. It's where the connection is really made between them. And it's shown really, I'd say, it's, it's the most touching scene in the whole movie for me. Good call. Mm, I would say it's the scene where Andrzej's throwing things around in his room, drinking mm -hmm. vodka and throwing mm -hmm. the portrait around. Shows you the gravity level of the situation. Mm -hmm. And it's still funny. <laughs> he has reverence for his beliefs, but you see his emotional challenges. Yeah, to me, it's a tie between the nightly running at the wilderness scene and the Corpus Christi scene. Any favorite quotes? Well, uh, that one line that I sure as hell don't know how to pronounce, and going with English subtitles, I can't be completely sure if I even or understood what was saying or if I just missed something in the translation, like with the character names. But there was a really great quote on that one moment in the film. I I would pick one one of the lines that is given uh, said by Adam at, at the first sermon he gives uh, in this film. The I saw the whole rotting of my soul. That that's a great quote. Well, since I was following the subtitles, I kind of lost a lot of the real Polish quotes here. Then I went to see the quotes in IMDb. There's this one single quote from the movie. And granted, that was a quote that was kind of so random that maybe I'll just throw it out here. So, my sausage is on fire, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah, now that you mention it. <laughs> also a good quote in this film. And I find it just childishly funny that there's no other quotes in IMDb. Yeah, uh, th this is one of those films where IMDb and Wikipedia completely screwed us up. <laughs> God damn it. Yeah, both like the English and Polish Wikipedias for this movie have like five lines each text. And it's like, this movie is about this. Goodbye. Yeah, it it's a Polish film and there are some actors and that's about it. Yep. Thanks, Wikipedia. Thanks. Any favorite quotes, Magda? Paid much more attention to what's happening between words, what's uh, unspoken. So for me, it would be rather uh, looks like feelings, maybe behind like connection between characters, for example. And when you think of this movie, what's the first image that pops to your head? To me, it's it's that nightly running scene in the woods. That's a, the first image. For me, it's just the first scene of the movie when the Little boys are hitting the stomach of the guy. How did you feel the pacing was? Pacing was good, pacing was bad. Um, could, for me, it could be faster, but it's the charm of this movie also. to Not to be too fast, I'd say. Yeah, well, perhaps it could have been a tad faster in the moments when we are following the kids and there's not much happening. But it's also kind of the structure of the movie from beginning to end. Yeah, to, to me, it was kind of a hip, hypnotic yeah. In its slow pace. It didn't bother me. Yeah. Once you get sucked into the pacing of this movie, it kind of started to feel just right for this kind of a story. Yeah, I love these movies where they hypnotize you with these slow scenes if they work. Audio music. I like the theme piano song that is playing around the whole movie. I love the guitar 
in this film. And as nasty it's to say, in a Polish movie, I really liked the song The Funeral from the American band, The Band of Horses. Mm-hmm. It was a great song, and I think that this movie really knew how to use that song. This song was obviously a kind of a climax sign. I also remember uh, Silence, and Silence was also well-balanced. Yeah, but who dared to say that the location was ugly or boring? I always enjoyed the Polish countryside <laughs> and countryside in general. Yeah, maybe it was a bit too pessimistic, let's say, and it's not Polish countryside uh, does not always look, look like that. It's not always in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, of course not. But it looks pretty on the screen. So, But yeah, I thought that this movie had a lot of beautiful shots. Looking at the fields when the car is driving off. Cinematography is very enjoyable. It is. Yeah, this is this is beautifully shot film. Where you can really see the expertise of the cinematography. Polish are really good at this. They know what they're doing. In general, I think entertainment industry in Poland is great. I, at the beginning, I told you that I don't really watch Polish movies, but uh, I can really see that uh, there are more and more good Polish movies recently. So it's good. Uh, well, there was this Zimna Wojna, Cold War, which uh, has been uh, quite successful in Cannes. And with this uh, incredible Joanna Kulik, uh, I, I'm really amazed by her energy and, uh, and what kind of actor she is. I didn't really like a story in this Cold War. Shooting was beautiful. They could make photos from every shot of the film. Nice. I would recommend this film based on everything I've said prior. The things that stand out the most for me is the beautiful cinematography and strong acting. I also enjoy the hypnotic pace, which we discussed as well. Henrik, would you recommend this? Yeah, I, I, I would, I would recommend this film. It's very well made movie all around. I would maybe not recommend this as your first Polish movie. But like, if you would ask me to give you an entry point into Polish films, I. I might still go with some of the old classics that are safe and sure, like, for example, mm-hmm. Ashes and Diamonds. Okay. Or something else from the Criterion collection. But Have you heard of Ziemia uh, Obiecana? Can't say I've had, <laughs> okay. at least with that name. It's uh, a movie by Andrzej Wajda. It's a very renowned Polish classic as well. The Promised Land. Oh, I haven't seen it yet. It's about, so it's a must-see, really. Yeah, I heard that. It's extremely good. Haven't seen it myself either, but I have heard a lot of praise. It's about three friends who try to be entrepreneurs in Łódź, which is a Polish city. One of them is German, one of them is Jew, and one of them is Polish. And that's how Łódź functioned there. There were like three or even four nationalities working together and, let's say, creating Polish capitalism. And it's the movie about it, based on a book by Polish classic writer who got Nobel Prize for his other book. Okay. Yeah, I, I would love to check it out. It's my recommendation. Yeah. 
getting Polish films in Finland is a pain in the ass, to be mm-hmm. honest. Mm-hmm. Usually you have to find a film that has been exported to US that has an American release, and then maybe you can get that American version. Whenever I travel, I try to have time to go to some cinema stores, movie stores, so I can find some local gems, some country-specific movies, and a surprising amount of these movies do have uh, English subtitles. Yeah. I'm always on the lookout for those. I definitely recommend doing that when you go traveling. Polish cinemas, at least in Krakow, in Warsaw as well, I think, are having Polish movies with English subtitles. So foreigners could visit and watch the Polish movie with English subtitles as well. Okay. Well, that's good because in in Finland, those specific movie stores or movie stores in general are kind of a dying breed. So we must rely more and more on eBay and Amazon (laughs) and other sites that let you buy movies online. Yeah, currently I'm in the process of watching Sex Mission, so I haven't had enough time to go through some more Andrzej Vida. Sex Mission is really wacky. I'm not sure if I can yet recommend it because I haven't finished it, but I heard that it's essential viewing. Uh, Yes, (laughs) it's by Juliusz Machulski. That's the name of the director. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's a Polish comedy about the world with no men, where only women yeah. exist. From 1984. Men appear to be found hibernated and they have to deal with the world with women only. Some think this film is sexist. It's a good fun, but it's also it may be also sexist. Well... Tread carefully here, Karle. <laughs> I was a kid. I watched this film few times because it's always on the TV somewhere and I found it very funny but later on I started thinking that mm-hmm, might not it might well, yeah, yeah. It, it might be sexist as well but yeah people in Poland often do not see this movie as sexist not always yeah so I don't know but it's shown as a bad idea after all I will say this there's only that far that you can go with this kind of an idea and it probably gets a little repetitious after five minutes. <laughs> All right. If I would recommend some Polish films, I would say Knife in the Water, Ida. I did like Floating Skyscrapers for the most part, <laughs> another gay-themed movie. I did like also Miesto 44. It's so out there because it's combining bullet time, slow motion and mm-hmm. Second World mm-hmm. War. So... Definitely watch it. Well, right. We have covered the movie. Henrik, have I missed anything in this messed up condition? I sharing with you with the exact same condition. I'm not the best one to judge here, but (laughs) I, I would say that you have covered everything once again. Well, in that case, I would say once again, thank you very much, Magda, for coming into this show. It's been really, really helpful and informative and fun. Maybe we have time and possibility to do this again somewhere down the line. Who knows? I'd love to. I'd love to. I'm sorry for not being fluent enough, but it happens sometimes. It definitely happens. And and as always, you can always find us online on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Tweetboot, on Gangstagram, whatever you have. As long as it says the flick lab, you'll be right on the money. 
with the best and the be-all and all film podcast of the world. Nothing less, nothing more. Henrik, next week we, I believe, will have a movie. <laughs> Is it going to be a movie? Because I'm, I'm not completely sure on this podcast. You never know with us. Yep. But looking at but the yeah. track record, there's a high possibility. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's a statistical possibility that next week we are covering a movie. <laughs> Do you already have something in mind for the next week? It just might be a Moroccan movie called Horses of God. Go watch it now. It was a, a nice adventure for me, and I would glad join you some other time. Yeah, you are always welcome to come back here on this podcast. Always. Thank you. So have a nice time. And have a nice evening, and I, I hope you will get better, and you will get healthy. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Soon. So, uh, kiitos. 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 All right, thanks again, Henrik. And thanks for the listeners, and we'll see or hear you on the next one. <laughs> see you the next time. Lab signing off. Yeah, I can't hear you, Henrik. Henrik, come back.